Our scripture reading will come from Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 31. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who does not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of, of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. Yeah, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed, feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he, came, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and, and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, has come, you kill the fattest calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, 
and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother was brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is a light unto our feet and a light a lamp unto our path, Lord God. We thank you that we can hear your word today. We praise you, Lord, because of what you've been to us, how you what you've been to us and what you've done for us throughout this week, and we continue mm-hmm. to give you praise and glory. Yes, Father, we don't know what kind of week some may have had here and some things may have gone good and some things are a bit rocky, but you know exactly what we need. And we pray, Lord, that we will hear from you today. Bless Darnell as he comes with the word of God to share with us. We thank you, Lord, for him, and we pray that it will be an anointed word for this hour. And may our ears hear what the Spirit has to say to us. Help us not to be distracted by different things that can come into our mind. May we be focused on hearing from you today, Lord, and take what we hear and apply it to our lives, that we may become all that you want us to be. So, Father, give us what we need today. We need our daily bread from you. We look to the hills from where our help comes, and we know that that's from you, Lord. So just bless us in this time that we have today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good uh, morning once again. It's uh, good to be with you again. It's been a while, <laughs> but good to be back here today. And good to see our brother here. Do you just come home when you know I'm going to be preaching? Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> Your wife needs to get them to schedule me more often so she'll see you more often. Yeah. Yeah, he works away in another country, but it uh, seems like every time I'm here, he's home. So it's good. Good to see you. Good to see all of you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Our subject, as you can see on the screen behind me, is desiring to know God. Desiring to know God. And I think that's a very profound statement, just to begin with, that God wants us to know him. He knows us intimately. In fact, he knows us better than we know ourselves. But the idea that this awesome creator of heaven and earth is someone that we can know intimately should just fill us with awe. But that's one of the core messages of the Bible, that Christianity is not just a religion. It's a relationship, a relationship with God. Uh, As Christians, we have a relationship with God, and God is not some distant uh, deity, unconcerned with the affairs of our life. But he is a God that is close and intimate, and he wants to be a real father to us, if only we'll let him. He wants us to know him as we would know one another. So we want to look today at this thing about desiring to know God. What is God really like? And one of the things that happens in our world today is people try to imagine God and create him in their own image. You know, they, you know, project unto God things that aren't really true about him. But what we have to do is to look to God's word to understand who God is, because that's the only way we'll know him. And that's why I've turned our attention to this text in Luke 15, because a revealing and instructive illustration of the character and nature of God is found in this chapter. Let's begin at verse number one. Here were the people who needed to hear the words of Jesus the most crowding around him. And this was one of the things that was unique to Jesus' ministry is that he didn't have a hard time attracting crowds. And often it would be people who was considered the wrong type of people, these sinners and tax collectors. And instead of the religious leaders being glad about this, uh, that people who really needed to hear uh, the word of God being there, they criticized Jesus because he associated with these people. They believed it was not acceptable for Jesus to associate with tax collectors and sinners. Now today, 
today, we don't think of tax collectors as necessarily being people we like, but we don't think of them as being the worst people in the world either. But in Jesus' day, particularly among the Jews, tax collectors were like traitors. Uh, they worked for the Roman Empire uh, that was in control at that time and had the Jews kind of in servitude. And uh, for a, a Jewish person to work for these Romans was just something that wasn't, didn't sit well with people. So they were put in a class with sinners and a low class people. So the religious leaders thought that Jesus was wrong associating with them. And in response to this, Jesus tells three parables that illustrate some important truths about God's attitude towards sinners. Toward these people that they set aside. And it's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. They asked Jesus and his disciples, why does he associate with these people? So Jesus tells three, these three parables to illustrate some important truths about God's attitude towards sinners. And let's look very quickly at what the, those three points are, or main points are. Number one, sinners are lost people who are lost to God. You know, this is what Jesus was trying to get across to them. The shepherd, the woman, and the father had all lost something. The shepherd had lost the sheep. The woman lost the coin, and the father had lost the son. And lost people are not just lost. They are lost to God. God has lost something. That's something very important for us to remember. People who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior today, they're lost. They're not just out there, not saved or not Christians. They are lost, and they are lost to God. They're his children who have gone astray. The other point Jesus makes is that lost people have worth and value to God. These religious leaders, they looked down on sinners because they thought they were worthless. They thought God cared more about the righteous people but didn't love the unrighteous. But that's not true. These people have value and worth to God. And it's because the shepherd valued the lost sheep that he went looking for it. It's because the lost coin was valued by the woman that she swept the house desperately trying to find it. And it's, of course, because the father valued his son that he welcomed him back into the house. It's because God loves lost people, sinners, that he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins. That's something else that we need to understand. We can walk down the street and pass by people who might be drunk or really down on their luck. People who, you know, just their lives are a mess. And we must understand that God values these people. He, they have worth to him. The other point Jesus was making is that lost people left to themselves are helpless and hopeless. Lost people left to themselves are helpless and hopeless. And that's why Jesus was associating with them. That's why he spent time with them and talked to them because these people needed his help. Look at verse number four. Where it talks about the shepherd having a hundred sheep and he loses one. He leaves the ninety and nine in the open country and goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. That lost sheep couldn't find his own way home. The shepherd had to go looking for it. And verse number eight talks about a woman who has ten silver coins and loses one. How she lights a lamp, sweeps the house, and searches carefully for it until she finds it. That coin was not going to be found unless that woman searched for it desperately. And then verse number 20, the prodigal son couldn't be restored without the father's forgiveness. The point is that lost people left to themselves are helpless and hopeless. That's a real challenge for us today. God has decided to win the loss to himself through us. 
If we don't go out and evangelize them, if we don't go out searching for them and looking for them like the shepherd did, like the woman did, if we don't have our arms open to welcome them when they come into the house of God as the father did his son, then they will be lost forever. God cares about the lost because without his help, lost people are headed for eternal damnation. And then the fourth point Jesus was making in these parables is that when lost people are recovered, heaven rejoices. God loves it when a sinner comes home. In verse again, verse six and seven, it says, and when this uh, verse six, when the shepherd finds uh, the sheep, he goes home and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And in verses 9 and 10, it talks of how when the woman finds the coin, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in verse number 10, it says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. You know, what's interesting is how excited the shepherd was about finding one lost sheep. He had a hundred of them, he had 99 of them. Why would he be so happy about finding this one? Just one out of a hundred. The same thing with the woman. She had ten coins. She loses one coin. And she doesn't think, well, I can't find it. That's okay. You know, as probably many of us do when we can't find a coin we've misplaced or dropped or something. No, she sweeps the house until she finds that coin. That's how much she valued it. Now, it makes sense to us that the father would value his son coming back. But what the first two parables tell us is just how much God cares about each and every lost person. There are over 7 billion people on the planet alive right now. And yet, if one of them comes to God today, all of heaven rejoices. That tells you how God feels about the lost. It's also a real challenge to us. And dare I say, especially those of us who live in Scotland. <laughs> How excited do we get when one sinner comes to God? I've been in churches where one person would accept Christ at the end of the service when I ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes and does anybody want to accept Christ? And one person raised their hand and if we say one person has come to the Lord today, it's almost like, oh, okay, that's nice. That's, that's good. But heaven rejoices. Amen? We must have that same attitude. And it's really a challenge to us. Do we have that kind of passion for souls? And if one person comes to Christ, then do we rejoice in the way that heaven does? But here's why heaven is so excited. God rejoices because something of value has been restored to him. I don't know if you've ever lost something, or misplaced it or something, and, and uh, maybe even had something stolen from you and then had it recovered. You know, if you've ever had a car, hopefully nobody's ever experienced this, but if you had a car stolen from you and you get a call from the police saying, we found your car, you know, you don't just go, oh, okay, good. You know, you're ecstatic. Unless you plan on cheating the insurance company or something like that, you might not be too happy. But if you wanted that car back, you would be just overjoyed. And that's how God is about one sinner. So what Jesus was really getting across to them, to these Pharisees is that he was correcting their misunderstanding. Their attitude towards sinners was completely wrong. And these three parables would have explained to them God's attitude towards the lost, how he feels about sinners. They also would have understood Jesus not quite so subtle knock at them that their attitude was like the older brother who wasn't so happy about his younger brother coming back. And that, again, is a challenge to us in the church. When people who have lived a life of sin, when they come in, 
do we ever find ourselves kind of looking down on them? Or feeling like we're somehow better because we've been saved longer or maybe we've grown up in the church and we haven't maybe made the mess of our lives that they have. We must never allow ourselves to have the attitude of the, of the uh, older brother. Instead, we should have the attitude of God. Be absolutely overjoyed at the, a sinner coming home. But while all three of these parables reveal some important truths about God's attitudes towards sinners, and we talked about desiring God, And these three parables do help us to understand something of the character and nature of God, how he feels about the loss. I want to turn our attention uh, to the third parable because it teaches even more about the character of God. And it goes a long way towards answering this fundamental question, what is God like? If we're going to live a relationship with him, we need to know him. We, We need to understand his heart, his character, his nature, what he's all about. And Jesus reveals some things about God in this third parable, the parable of the lost son, that really helps us to understand the very character of God. There's several things that this text points out. The first is this. Our Heavenly Father is gracious. Let's look again at verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. In theological terms, grace means to give someone something they don't deserve. And in this parable, the father is gracious to his son because he gives his son something he doesn't deserve. The son's request was an unreasonable and disrespectful request. The inheritance was to be given to the son upon the father's death. And in a real sense, by demanding it while the father was alive, it's as if the son was saying, I wish you were dead. You know, when are you going to hurry up and die? Give me my part of the estate. A very disrespectful request. And the father was under no obligation to grant the request. But he does. He's gracious to the son. He gives him something he had no right to ask for and he didn't deserve. The father was gracious again when the son returned in verse number 22. As soon as the son came back, the father instructs his servant to go get the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Go get the fatty calf, the the, the one that they were saving for special occasions, and kill it and have a great banquet in his honor. All of these things was the father's way of saying, you are still my son. Although the son had come back with an attitude, just make me a servant. He's saying, no, I want everybody to know I'm restoring him to the position he had before he left. This was a gracious act on the behalf of the father. So the father was very gracious to his son. But this reveals something of the character of God. Because God is the father in this story. And our heavenly father is gracious. Like the father in the parable, he gives us things that we don't deserve. The Bible says that God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God doesn't treat people how they deserve to be treated. He treats everybody better than they deserve. Those of us who are Christians, we may think that God loves us better than the sinner. I mean, after all, we come to church. You know, we've accepted his son. We live a good life and all of these other things we may give uh, to God's service and work in ministry. And it may be a sense that God loves us better than people out there who are ignoring him. But the Bible says that everybody lives under gracious love of God. Even those who deny his existence, God is still gracious to them. Grace has been defined as God's riches 
at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's how God is able to be so gracious to us because His Son has paid it all. But those who choose not to live in a relationship with God, although they're living under the blessings of God in one sense, they're not experiencing the fullness of it. Anybody here today who isn't saved, isn't a Christian, you are living beneath your privilege. God wants to do so much more for you. The whole riches of, of heaven are at your disposal because our Heavenly Father is gracious. The other thing Jesus teaches us in this parable is that our Heavenly Father is generous. Look at verse number 17. Here is the Son. He's taken his inheritance from the Father. He's gone off and wasted it, made a wreck of his life. Verse 17 says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He realized that his father was a generous man and that even the servants was well taken care of. And he began to reflect on his situation. and thought, why am I in this situation? Why am I eating what the pigs would eat? And I have a father who loves me, who's gracious and generous and takes care of even the servants. Even they are living better than me. But in this, we see an illustration of God. Our Heavenly Father is generous. God wants to bless us and do us good. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you hope and a future. God is generous. He wants to bless us in this life. And that doesn't always mean that God will give us everything that we want in life, all the material things. But it does mean that God will meet all of our needs. We have a Heavenly Father who looks out for us and provides for us. This is why Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6 that we shouldn't worry about material things. Jesus said that if God takes care of the grass of the field and the birds of the air, how much more will he take care of us? Do you understand that this morning, that our Heavenly Father is generous? We have a Heavenly Father who looks out for us and provides for us. One of the things as I studied this that I reflected on is how I have come to understand God as a Father more as I have been a Father. we privileged to have our youngest son with us today who's 19 now. It's amazing to think of our five children, the youngest is 19. I remember when the oldest, obviously when the oldest wasn't that age. But all these years of parenting has helped me to understand what it means to be a father. And I know that as a father, I have a great desire to take care of my children. That's a responsibility that I take seriously. And if I can be that way, if I can have a sense that I want to be generous to my children, I want to make sure they're taken care of, then how much more does our Heavenly Father feel that way about us? He cares for us. I like what David says in Psalms 37. David said, I was young, but now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. And uh, all of us have that testimony. You know, we may not all have everything we want in our life. but We have a father who is generous and takes care of us. One of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh. And that means the God who provides. So if you are today finding yourself a little short on money, if you're finding yourself with material needs in your life, be encouraged by this thought that you have a Heavenly Father who is generous and He takes care of His own. Amen? The next thing that Jesus teaches us in this 
parable is that our Heavenly Father is attentive. Talking about desiring to know God. And all of these things are teaching us about who God is and His relationship to us. Look at verse number 20. It says, the son came to his senses and then he got up and went to his father. But I love this next part. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. The mental picture I get is of a father who every day got up and searched the horizon, wondering if this would be the day that his son would become home. This little detail Jesus says there in verse 20, that while he was still a long way off, I don't think it's just by accident or insignificant. I think Jesus wanted us to understand that the father wasn't like caught off guard by the son returning. He wasn't expecting him or thinking about him at all. And then all of a sudden he's there. He said, oh, oh, wow. Where did you come from? But instead he saw him while he was still a long way off. The father saw the son before the son saw the father. And that's because the father was attentive. To his son. He was looking for him and wanting him to come back. And that's the same way it is with our Heavenly Father. In Psalm 113, the Bible speaks of God as one who sits high but looks low. <laughs> he looks down on earth and he is attentive to the needs and affairs in your life. There are times, even as Christians, when we'll wonder, has God forgotten me? You know, we maybe feel we're praying for things and we're not seeing the prayers answered, at least not in the way that we expect or will want. You know, there are things going on in our life, you know, difficulty and disappointment and struggle. And you just wonder, God, where are you? Do, do you do you know what I'm feeling? Do you know what I'm going through? I want you to understand Jesus teaches us in this parable that our Heavenly Father is attentive. There is nothing in your life that he's not aware of. There's no problem that you face that he doesn't understand that you're facing it. Whatever you're going through, he is there. Understand this. We have a heavenly father who is attentive. God is looking out for us. And as Christians, the more we understand that, the greater sense of assurance and peace we'll have in our life. How can you be stressed? And actually, this is a lesson for me as well. You know, how can I ever allow myself to feel overwhelmed and stressed and pressed down by the affairs of this world if I understand that I have a Heavenly Father who is gracious and generous and attentive? I just got to trust in that. The same way that I would want my children to trust in me. It would hurt my heart to know that my children, as they were growing up, was wondering every day, are we going to eat today? You know, are, are you know, mom and dad going to be there today? Are they going to take care of us today? You know, are they going to do the things that we expect them to do as parents? I, I hope they grew up with just a confidence that whatever else happens in life, I, I know mom and dad will always love me and will always take care of me. Many of you had parents like that. You never gave it a moment's thought about whether or not mom and dad would be there for you. God wants you to feel the same way about him. To never give a moment's thought that God has got you in the palm of his hands and he'll take care of you. But there's a lesson in this for people who have wandered away from the will of God. And maybe you've done some things that you know aren't right and you've disappointed God. Understand this, that God will always receive you back. If you're far away from the Lord this morning, it's as if God is searching the horizon of your life today, wondering if this will be the day when you will come back home. Would this be the day when you would rededicate yourself to him and draw closer to him? Maybe you've heard this expression where if you take one step towards God, he'll take one step towards you or two steps towards you. Have you ever heard that? 
Well, actually, the Bible teaches something very different. What Jesus is saying here, look again at verse number 20. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and did what? He ran to him. Jesus doesn't say that if you take one step toward God, he'll take two steps toward you. Jesus said, if you take one step toward God, he'll come running to you. This is where you're supposed to shout. <laughs> you take one step towards God, he will drop everything and come running to you. One of the things we have to understand about God is that his heart breaks for the loss. His heart aches for any of us who wander away. And if we will just make up in our minds that we want to come back to God or draw closer to him, if somebody wants to repent of their sins and give their life over to him, God will come running to you. Even if you feel like you're unlovable, even if you feel like you have messed up so much that God has given up on you, even if other people treat you that way, not God, he will come running towards you. He is an attentive God. So if you are away from God today, God is looking out, wondering if today will be the day when you will come home. The other thing that Jesus teaches is that our Heavenly Father is compassionate. Again, in verse 20, it says his father saw him and was filled with compassion for his son. Compassion is the aspect of God's love that causes him to help those in need. God doesn't just feel sorry for us. Wherever God sees a need, what he sees touches his heart and his divine compassion leads him to divine action. See, compassion isn't pity. You know, compassion is being motivated to act. I love that about God. Have you ever been in a situation where you was in need, you needed somebody, but the person that you looked to, they just didn't have the ability to do anything for you? You know, maybe you had a financial need and, and there was somebody there who had the desire to help you, but they just didn't have the ability. They, they, all they could do is say, I'll pray for you. Or maybe you've been sick, you know, and you're and unwell. And all the person could do is say, well, I'll, I'll keep you in my prayers because they were powerless to help you. And then sometimes, unfortunately, there are people who have the power to help you, but they don't have the desire to. <laughs> but God is someone who has both the power to act on our behalf and the desire to act as well. God never tires of us coming to him with our problems. He never tires of us coming to him with our requests and our needs in our life. And when God sees a need, he's moved to compassion. The greatest example of this is in God sending his son to die for our sins. The Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know why he sent his son to down the cross for our sins? Because he loved us. Isn't it amazing to think, Graham, that if you were the only person who needed salvation, Jesus would have died on the cross for you. If I was the only person who needed salvation, he would have sent his one and only son for nobody else other than me. Now, it's easy to think, well, Jesus died because billions of people needed salvation. But God would have sent his son just for one person. That's how much he loves each and every one of us. God looked beyond our fault and saw our need. And he was moved to compassion and sent his son. God continues to be moved with compassion for the needs in our life. Not only did he provide salvation, but whatever else that we need in our life, God is acting on our behalf. And so we need to trust him. Sometimes we may not see it, we may not feel it, 
It may feel like God's not acting on our timetable. You know, okay, God, I know you got my best interest at heart, but when are you going to get to this? But we've got to trust him. And if you know God is a God of compassion, it will give you great confidence and assurance and peace in your life. Here's the other thing. Our Heavenly Father is forgiving. Verse 21. The Son said to the Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The son, as we read earlier, had rehearsed a whole script. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you've got to go have a difficult conversation with somebody? And what do we do? We kind of rehearse it in our minds. You know, what are we, how are we going to say this? What are we going to say to them so that this comes off right? And that's what the son did. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father. And I know I've made a mistake and messed up and I'm not deserving of forgiveness. So I'll say, Dad, I'm, I'm not expecting to be a son again. But can I at least be a servant? Can I just work for you? And, you know, then at least I won't be sleeping in a pig pen and I won't have to eat what the pigs eat and stuff. So he had rehearsed this. But the father is so forgiving. That as the son comes here, notice again what happens. Verse 21, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But he doesn't even get the opportunity to say the other part. Make me one of the hired men. The father just cuts him off and says, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's a beautiful illustration of the forgiving attitude. The forgiving heart of God. No matter what you've done. No matter how much you've messed up. How many times you've failed God. He stands ready to forgive you. 1 John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The only qualification in that is that we've got to mean it from our heart. We just can't say the words. If someone is in a habit of, excuse me, every night, Getting down, kneeling by their bed and saying, God, if I've committed any sins today or whatever, or for the sin that I committed today, forgive me and do that night after night after night, you know, and do that knowing I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Then God's not going to forgive us for sins like that. That's not real repentance. But if a person means it from their heart, God promises his word holds them to this, that he will forgive them. So if you're away from God this morning, God considers you to be his lost child. He wants to welcome you back into the fold as this father did his son. All he's waiting for is you. Take one step towards him and he'll come running to you. Our God is forgiven. Isn't it wonderful to know that God is a forgiving God? Amen. Our subject this morning is desiring to know God. And getting to know God begins with what we've shared this morning. Information about God. Understanding his character and nature. But knowing God involves more than just information about Him. God wants us to live in relationship with Him. So it's not just knowing about God, it's knowing God intimately. And that, in order to have that relationship with God, we've got to have faith. So it begins with knowledge about God, but then we've got to have faith in Him. We've got to believe that God exists and that it is possible to live in a relationship with Him. Our relationship with God is one that's forged in faith. The scripture says that we are saved by grace through faith. 
But then it also says that the just shall live by faith. In other words, we walk this Christian life by faith. This whole relationship and knowing God is an aspect of faith. So have you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? And if you do, then to really know God, you've got to take all that the Bible says about God, all of these characteristics of God that we have here, and you've got to make sure that this is part of your life. That you are living it, believing it. You've got to stake your life on it. You've got to have confidence in it and trust in it. And the more we do that, the more we'll have a deeper, more passionate, intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Desiring to know Him. We don't want to just be Christian in name only. We don't just want to have a head knowledge. Christianity is about a relationship. About a relationship with a Heavenly Father. And who wouldn't want to have a relationship with a Heavenly Father like this? I'm convinced of this. That people who don't live in relationship with God do so primarily not because of sin. They're having so much fun out there. Not because of the things of this world. Although that's a part of it. At the heart of it is they, they, they don't know who God is. You could not be in your right mind and turn down living in a relationship with this God if you understand who He really is. They've heard all kinds of other things about God, but they understood who He is, this loving Father. They would turn their lives over to Him because that's what we desperately desire. If you are a Christian here, and you don't have the kind of relationship with God that you know you ought to. If you find yourself not having peace and joy and contentment in your life, at the heart of that is you've got to understand who God is. You've got to know Him. And the more you know Him, the more He'll fulfill the desires of your heart. It's wonderful to live in relationship with God. Amen? Desiring to know Him. My prayer for all of us is that we will continue to search God's Word, continue to live by faith, continue to pray and draw close to Him, to know this wonderful, loving, forgiving, gracious, generous, attentive Father that God is. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank You so much for Your Word and thank You for what Your Son reveals to us through this parable of the lost Son. How much you love us and care for us and the type of father that you want to be to each and every one of us. Father, thank you that you love us so much. And I just pray, God, that you would help us to draw close to you, to know you better, to walk with you closer, dear God, and to just fulfill your purpose in our life. Father, I just pray for those who raised their hand, dear God, as they just responded to your word and say, yes, I've heard you speaking to me today. I pray that you'd bless them, dear God, for their honesty and boldness and their desire, dear Lord, to just draw close to you. So, Father, we just pray again that you'd help each and every one of us to take to heart the things that Scripture tells us about you, to trust in it, to believe in it, and to live our lives based on it. And, Father, again, just thank you for the Father that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.